podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast, reviewing the Monaco Grand Prix that's happened this afternoon. All change in the championship, a disastrous weekend for the Mercedes guys. It means that they now lead neither championship. Max Verstappen leads the Drivers' Championship by four points following his victory today. Lewis Hamilton, of course, all the way uh, down in seventh place. Just six, sorry, seven points to his name, thanks to a uh, fastest lap bonus point and one point lead for Red Bull in the Constructors' Championship. All change. My name is Ben Hocking. Harry Eid alongside no Sam Sage today. Harry, surely that one is a contender for race of the century. <laughs> I mean, race of, yeah, race of all time. That's, um, yeah, I, I, I said to you off there, I think that could have been made more exciting by some, some actual TV direction. But unfortunately, we had no overtakes. We had no yellow flags, no safety cars. And no TV direction, which which did not help things at all. Uh, all of the things that add together to make a great race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I can't even believe there was no yellow flag. It's Monaco. Like, come on. What's going on, guys? I feel like on the one hand, it's a bit of a, a disappointment for the race entertainment as a whole. But on the other hand, I guess you have to somewhat respect that all 20 drivers could go around and, and none of them create even one yellow flag i mean i I know they're driving well below their means in terms of what pace they were producing in qualifying versus what they were doing in the race but that's still somewhat impressive i guess doesn't help much for the race overall but no you know i mean stroll gave it a good go trying to bunny hop over the swimming pool a few times (laughs) to no avail he he did try bless him i i think he's still out there in those (laughs) tires i don't think he ever stopped just loves a long stint (laughs) <laughs> as we say, Max Verstappen did take the race win. Somewhat unfamiliar podium as it was uh, Carlos Sainz in second place. Uh, and Lando Norris, another podium for him. He's in third. Of course, Lewis Hamilton struggled, didn't have a good place uh, to start with and then couldn't make up any positions in the race, didn't get the strategy right at all. Uh, and Valtteri Bottas, who was in place to, to get at least a podium, uh, I, I believe his tyre is still stuck to that car and he's actually going to use it for the rest of the season <laughs> now. never so. coming off. Yeah, a bit of a shame for him. We'll start with the the, the race out front. Um, I mean, Mercedes, they seem to have everything in control coming into this race weekend, but it just proves that one poor result, both from a Drivers' Championship and a Constructors' Championship perspective, one poor result and then everything can can shift. Do you think the momentum is now with with Red Bull? Um, I mean... Yeah, definitely a momentum after, after today. It's hard to say because, you know, um, you could say after Spain, where they convincingly won, I mean, with good strategy, that momentum was easily with Mercedes. So it can easily, you know, easily swing back again in Baku, I think. So, um, but yeah, I think this, this, in terms of the championship scenario, this has been an excellent race in that respect because, um, yeah, it, it's tightened things up again at the top. We got a new leader in both championships, which we've not had for a good couple of years, which is nice to see. Um, but yeah, hopefully, because I think we were all a bit worried after Spain, that we, like the Red Bull challenge was starting to fizzle out. And, you know, you can argue that it's down to Mercedes mistakes and 
Red Bull capitalised. But that's kind of what Mercedes have been doing also towards the beginning of the season. So I don't think that you, you can take it away from Red Bull. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that it's closed back up at the top so so quickly. So um, yeah, in terms of championship, it may not have been the best race on track, but at least we we've got something we've got something out of it. Yeah, we have. I mean, it's it's a really it's a really difficult one for Mercedes because you're almost guaranteed, even with how consistent they are, that you're going to get a poor result or a um, an, an incident here or there. But it's almost about where you make the incident and when you make the incident. Because we saw, for example, at Imola, where it's not it's not an easy circuit to overtake at all. But Hamilton, even with his error, he was able to reclaim a number of those positions that he lost and obviously came all the way back to second. And I think pretty much all circuits that we're going to go to this year apart from really monaco you have an opportunity to at least claw that back you know if you have a poor pit stop or if you have this you have that you've got you know you've got the overtaking possibilities to make up positions again qualifying at monaco is so important to the point where you know if hamilton starts seventh place pretty much anywhere else you would still back him to get onto the podium again at some point in that grand prix today unless you get it done in the in the pit windows in terms of strategy, which of course they didn't, then there's pretty much no opportunity to make any any places up. So I think what what we'll find here is that you know, Max Verstappen has fewer race wins this year than Lewis Hamilton, but when but is leading the championship. It's almost not the race wins and the second places that will make this championship. It's it's those really poor races like the Hamiltons had today that will decide the championship. It's consistency. I think Hamilton knows that perhaps better than anyone else because he's the one that's been doing that to his rivals for so long. Whereas everyone else seems to make a, seems to have a poor performance here and there, you know, a retirement here, a, a seventh place there. And he just ticks along getting firsts and seconds and firsts and thirds and firsts. And suddenly it's, it seems to be somewhat reversed to the point where Hamilton has more race wins, but because of just one poor performance... He he finds himself not leading the championship. So, um, I mean, before before we go any further, of course, Sam Sage is not here today, unfortunately. <laughs> I think it's best to just give his verdict on the race. And to give you the full Sam Sage effect, I'm going to read it out word for word. I don't want to paraphrase Sam at all because that's a dangerous game. Um, <laughs> Sam's view was classic, boring Grand Prix. And not often you see Hamilton so off the pace. We've got a championship on our hands, dot, dot, dot. Also, R.I.P. Botties. Which, uh, <laughs> I believe he's referring to Valtteri Bottas there. Um, <laughs> if you if you weren't aware, I mean, looking at Max Verstappen's performance, he he won the race fairly comfortably in the end. Valtteri Bottas um, was his his uh, closest challenger up until the point that he retired. Um, do you think it was a it was a good performance from from Verstappen today? Do you think he just did exactly what he needed to do? And could Bottas have got anywhere in that second half of the race? Um, yeah, look, it was, it was, like I said, it's capitalizing on others' mistakes today that, that Verstappen and Red Bull really nailed. Um, he didn't get pole in quali, but he's obviously capitalized on the fact that Leclerc didn't even start the race. Um, and then, yeah, Bottas looked like he did have the pace, at least to the first part of the race to stay up with Max, although he did start to fade away, which is, I think, why they brought him in. Um, yeah, did Mercedes really have the pace to go all the way through? I don't. I think even after that pit, 
even if the pit stop hadn't gone so badly wrong for Bottas, I think we saw with Hamilton it was the wrong strategy to do an undercut. The overcut was the way forward. Um, so I think even if you know Bottas had got the wheel off and the new wheel on his car, um, I'm not sure he would have had the pace to to challenge Max. You know, we saw Signs was fairly close, but um, as it's the case on Monaco, it doesn't matter being close. You, you're probably not going to be able to overtake. So. Um, yeah, it's just an unusually weak weekend for, for Mercedes. Um, and it, it's happened before at Monaco. It's not been the happiest of hunting grounds, um, you have to say. I know Rosberg's won three times, but, you know, they, they, they've they tend to struggle sometimes there. So um, maybe it's not a surprise, but, um, yeah, they'll want to forget. They'll want to forget this weekend quickly, Mercedes. But, yeah, for, for Max and Red Bull, it was exactly... It was exactly the weekend they needed. And I think probably after quarter yesterday when they didn't put it on pole and Hamilton was down the seventh, you know, there was a fear that maybe they weren't going to make the gains that they should have done. Um, but obviously they did. So, yeah. Yeah, I think ultimately Verstappen did exactly what he needed to do. And, and ultimately we saw that the undercut wasn't very powerful compared to the overcut. We'll get onto that specifically relating to Hamilton in a, in a little bit. But, you know, Bottas performing that undercut, uh, arguably he was forced into it thanks to um, thanks to the tyres not holding on as long as as long as they did for other drivers. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he would have he would have stayed in touch with Verstappen. But ultimately, we, we didn't see any overtakes on track outside of lap one and coming out of the pits. So, to expect Bottas to to feature, especially if he didn't come out ahead of Verstappen, I, I think is completely unfeasible. But overall, I, I think Bottas can be he can be pleased with his performance on the weekend. Definitely, you know the result is the furthest thing away from what he wanted, uh, and it's almost even more cruel that actually he's found a race weekend where he has very comfortably and clearly got the better of Lewis Hamilton and, and he still walked away with no points, which poor, is poor Valtteri, <laughs> which that could be the most Valtteri Bottas thing I've ever heard, but it's <laughs> yeah, he, he can be buoyed by the performance again. You know, you want the results to match that performance and ultimately that just hasn't happened for him at all. But I, I don't want to take anything away from Max Verstappen at all. Like, even if his his two main rivals fell by the wayside due to various reasons, he still needed to convert. It's still seventy eight laps around Monaco, and and he succeeded. Um, and you know th- there wasn't exactly any any panic about the performance at all. He just he just went about his business. And you, you often find, and we we saw this a lot with Mercedes in their sort of early hybrid era days. The less you see of a driver leading the race, the more comfortably they're doing because there's no reason for the TV director to go towards them. Now, maybe, you know, the TV director in Monaco didn't actually realise that Verstappen was on track because you know, <laughs> that's oh. that's the TV director at Monaco. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Verstappen did exactly what he needed to do. Fair play to him. Um, and a first first win at Monaco. It's um first podium at Monaco as well, which seems seems baffling. But yeah, it, it does seem to for for all its uh problems, Monaco, it does always uh throw up some interesting results. Um, you know, Hamilton, like you say, Mercedes have never really done too well there, which compared to usual Mercedes standards is pretty incredible. Um I I'm not sure how many wins Hamilton has, but I don't think it can be more than about two at Monaco, can it? It's He's two had, or three? He's three, isn't it? He's only had two poles around there, which, again, yeah. is pretty mad. Um, 
Yeah, not not his happiest hunting ground, which is obviously saying a lot. He's still got three wins there, but you know, I I think it says a lot about Hamilton that we can look at a track where he's got three wins and say, "Huh, that's a bit poor, isn't it?" Um, <laughs> it, it says a lot about Hamilton and how good he is. But yeah, you're right, Mercedes not a happy hunting ground, and that continued today. I, looking at practice results on Thursday as well, and going into Saturday morning, it seemed pretty apparent that Mercedes did have a job on their hands, particularly with Red Bull, but of course the emergence of Ferrari as well. I, I think realistically, if they had walked away from this Grand Prix, let's say with a P4 and a P5, you could say, well, that's not a very good weekend. But at the same time, they've, you know, it's been some some sort of just making sure the damage isn't too bad, damage limitation. Um and you know they walk onto the next one still with the championship leads. Instead, they've it's it's a poor race turned even worse because of of the retirement and Hamilton finishing far down the top ten rather than just fourth or fifth as as can be expected. Um, ends a really uh, really long streak as well for Lewis Hamilton. That was his uh, his first non podium in thirteen races if you <laughs> take out the Sakia um, race, obviously. But that's pretty crazy. Got to go back to Monza last year. Um, Says a lot about the consistency. Looking at Lewis Hamilton, because of course he was stuck behind Pierre Gasly in the first part of the race, thinking, hmm, how can I get ahead of Pierre Gasly here? Would love to make up that position. Couldn't do it. Oh, and also Vettel and Perez got passed as well. Um, (laughs) Didn't work out too well. He was the first one that went into the box. So do you think that Mercedes have just, just thrown up a blunder here? Look, it's so easy to say and, you know, they were already in a tough position with Hamilton because he was already down in seventh. Um, But I think it was kind of not, you know, not crystal clear, but it was uh, um, apparent that all the drivers at the start of the race weren't really pushing really hard. So there was more, more pace within all the drivers. They weren't, they weren't trying to extend any gaps. So I think there was always that risk that if they came in, you come in and then the, the driver in front of you is just going to pull the pin and start going faster, which is exactly what Gasly did and definitely what Vettel did, um, you know, even over a couple of laps and jumped the pair of them. So, um, yeah, it's surprising to me that Mercedes maybe didn't read that one. I know they they had to try something different, so it had to be them pulling the pin rather than rather than Gasly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was just it was just looking at it now it's easy to say but it was quite a quite a bad decision in the end um and you know maybe they should have waited to see because Hamilton was one of the first if not the first to pit I think um maybe they should have waited to see what others were doing when they pit you know uh but yeah I I, I get that I get why they did it but I think in hindsight they'll they'll say they should have maybe waited a bit to see how things were playing out with that undercut because as I said earlier, it was just not the strategy today. Overcut was king um, by a long way. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a shame. And, you know, we'll never know where Bottas was going to come out, but I think he would have still lost out to Sainz, um, to be honest, even if they had got the wheel on, because Sainz did the overcut as well. Well, I say the overcut, he stayed out longer. Um, so, yeah, it's a, an odd one, especially when we, we praised Mercedes so much for their strategy in, in Barcelona, as that seems a long time ago already. But, um yeah, an unusual, uncharacteristic Mercedes blunder seems harsh, but mistake, I'll say. I, I yeah, I'm, I'm similar line of thinking to you, really, in that I, I can understand the, I can understand the logic in what they did, 
ultimately you don't want to ever strategic strategically be caught napping like you, you want to be on the front foot and, and you want to make sure you're the one dictating the race and of course yeah like you say hamilton was one of the first in i think he, uh, apart from the, the has guys possibly i think he was the first one in um and naturally with monaco you want to make sure that you're feeding your drivers back into into gaps which they did they they saw a gap emerge in front of the guys behind i think he only actually dropped about two positions as a result of the pit stop so the the gap emerged and the default setting really for all of these teams is gap emerges undercut is king make it work so i can understand why they did it and to your point as well harry they were going about at the beginning of the race, at least about seven or eight seconds slower than what they were in qualifying. Um, so theoretically, if you get some, if you get some clean air, and, and these guys are still going around at that similar sort of pace, you've got the opportunity to make it work. Unfortunately for Mercedes, this is Monaco, uh, and it doesn't it doesn't conform to the normalities of Formula One. Um, first of all, I mean the overcut is something that we've seen at Monaco before. Uh, you know, 2017, perhaps most notably for the Vettel and Raikkonen battle for the for the lead of the race. Then, um, and it, it's something that can work because those tires will just keep going and keep going. The hardest compound that we had at Monaco was the softest compound we had at Portugal and Spain, and yet still those tires will just keep going as if as if nothing's happening to them. And it gets to a point we saw in qualifying that these guys were taking a numerous warm-up laps to get those soft tyres up to speed. So I think it makes sense that Hamilton coming in for fresh tyres, those fresh tyres, you know, at most races are going to be ready to go. They're going to be better than the worn tyres in front of them. But if they do need that warm-up, then that one lap difference is going to play quite well for the overcut. And as Hamilton says, you know, his tires were his tires were still good at the point where they brought him in now he probably said on the radio two laps before that they're absolutely dead with no chance of going another 100 meters but we know that that doesn't mean a lot when it comes to hamilton so likelihood is yeah he he did have a lot of tire life left and the likes of signs and probably most notably perez were still able to keep going on those soft tires well after hamilton had come into the pits um it was a strategic error. I can understand the the line of thinking. You see that gap emerge. You think immediately, yes, let's act now uh, and make everyone else panic. Completely get it, but it's Monaco. It doesn't quite work like that. So, sorry, Merck. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> Driver of the day. Who have you got? Um, I'm going to give it to Aston Martin's <laughs> strategy department now. Um, that's fair <laughs> I mean they they did put a blind on both fronts to be honest and yeah Stroll doing his classic never stopping uh, strategy <laughs> um, no try the day uh, I'm gonna give it, I'll give it to Verstappen you know it was you know it seems fairly simple but it's you know he, he led every lap basically of Monaco apart from maybe one when Perez was in front of him after he came out of, out, out of the pits but um yeah, Verstappen was. I don't think Sainz had much of an answer to him today. Um, maybe Leclerc would have been able to fend him off, or you know, had the pace to to, to beat him. But well, again, we'll never know because of his own own mistake. Um, so yeah, I'll go Verstappen. But there were some real notable drives. Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, because no one seems to notice him ever. Um, a, a solid a solid race for him as well. Um, and obviously Norris benefited from the Leclerc uh, incident, obviously Hamilton and um, 
No, wait. What did he bend it for? How did he get ahead? How did he end third in the race? Who did he... Oh, Bottas, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll go for Verstappen for me. But there are a few pretty standout drives over the weekend. Yeah, I always I always think driver of the day and worst driver of the day is, is very difficult at a circuit like Monaco because a lot of the time these these drivers aren't going as, as fast as they could do in terms of their actual pace. Uh, if you're stuck behind another car, you're just kind of at the mercy of them. Um, having said that, there were a few good performances out there. Like, you know, Sebastian Vettel, he did a good job. Went side by side with Pierre Gasly. He got he got his elbows elbows out and made sure that that move stuck, and he got the overcut done. Of course, that's partly due to his own performance on the the in lap, and it's also partly due to the performance of the of the strategists. Um, so I really do think it is tricky to assign a driver of the day. I, I'm actually also going to just mention Antonio Giovinazzi because I, I his pace was unreal. Um, he did a really good job in that first stint of sticking with with Hamilton and Gasly. Um, he wasn't too far behind those two guys at all. Uh, and ultimately, if he didn't get stuck behind Esteban Ocon, um, thanks to strategy, I, th- I think he actually would have he, he wouldn't have been far off um, to the point where I, I don't even know whether Hamilton would have had and uh, maybe Hamilton would have still had the gap to pit another time but I, I think he would have been quite comfortably up the road from Esteban Ocon at that stage I'm going to give it to Max Verstappen though faultless drive did exactly what he needed to do um, and ultimately you know it, it's not it's not besmirching him at all that that you know he just did what he needed to do because ultimately that's how Hamilton's won championships year after year um, it was a it was a Hamilton-esque performance to be honest Fair play to him, driver of the day. Worst driver of the day, who've you got? I think at this point it would be Sam giving it to Bottas because it was his fault for driving too hard on his tyres and that's why he didn't come off. That's probably how that would go. Wow, I'm surprised he hasn't offered that up. <laughs> um, no, worst driver of the day for me, I'm going to go for um, little Yuki Sonoda. He... Uh, very anonymous again this weekend. He just wasn't, and you compare where Gasly finished to where he finished. I know it's obviously a lot set in quali, but yeah, Sonoda wasn't very quick in quali either. Um, yeah, just at, you know, just really nowhere compared to Gasly. And I know he's new, um, but yeah, it seems to. So ever since almost that crash in Imola qualifying, like dented his confidence somewhat or, or something. So um, yeah, we're one, but he just, I think, just for how far off his own teammate's pace he was. Um, I, I have to give it to him. Yeah, I think that is that is a fair one. Whereas, because he was on the same strategy as, as Lance Stroll, and I think he actually went longer than Lance Stroll did by a yeah. few laps. Uh, it was, yeah, he, he went a long, long way on those hard tyres, but whereas it worked out for Lance Stroll and he gained about, was it five positions overall in the race? Sonoda um, was essentially where where he was to begin with. Um, so I think that's a fair one to give. I think if it was looking at the weekend as a whole, we only we only assign it for the day itself. But if we were looking at the weekend as a whole, Hamilton is absolutely in contention for this. Because we're only looking at the day, I'm actually going to give it to Daniel Ricciardo. Um, he was obviously out of position due to qualifying, uh, out in Q2. And he's got to watch his, uh, his teammate on the podium, whereas he scored absolutely zilch. Um, just never had the pace it's it's really confusing because whilst he didn't get up to speed with the Renault straight away he wasn't that far off the pace of Hulkenberg it was still competitive at the moment 
apart from Spain, obviously, last time out, he's not there. And I'm not quite sure why. I, I don't question his his quality as a racing driver. I, I, I do think he's one of the best out there. But for whatever reason, he has not adjusted to that McLaren as well as he would have liked. Um, and it's a, it's a shame because he, he has had very good performances at, at Monaco in the past, of course. He's a multiple-time pole sitter, uh, a race winner there as well. Should really have been two-time race winner at Monaco. Uh, and unfortunately, I own these streets. He which, got lapped by his teammate. Which streets are those? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It certainly wasn't the ones he was racing around this weekend. Um, it's a shame, but a poor performance from him out there. And he just needs, I, I know you could argue, well, he had it in Spain, but he needs a performance where he, he's just on par with Lando Norris at a racetrack where overtakes are possible when he still finishes ahead because they're, you know, obviously Spain is easier to overtake than Monaco, but there was that factor of him starting higher up the grid and it kind of working out like that. I'd just like to see him put in a, a really good performance at you know, let's pick out Baku. He's won there before. Let's let's see him pick, do a good performance there. What was your moment of the race? Ooh, so many to choose from. <laughs> oh. <laughs> let's look back through. What have we got here in contention? Um I will go for the moment that everyone didn't see, which was um that the uh, Probably the only bit of side-by-side action we got all race, which was Vettel versus Gasly slash Hamilton going up the hill to, to Beau Rivage. Um, and then the director cut to Lance Stroll doing his best attempt to bring out a yellow flag, which was just insane. But um, even I think even without that uh, misdirection on the TV, it was still a pretty, um, pretty exciting moment of the race. So I'll go for that one. Uh, another one is obviously Leclerc not even making it to the grid. Um, but yeah, I'll, go for, I'll go for the Vettel. Little pit exit one. I think that's a that's a fair selection. There were also a few uh, blunders that I'd pick out here as possible contenders. Um, Gasly being a three time race winner this season that was fun. <laughs> um, don't don't remember that. But when did that happen? Apparently, but apparently he's won three races this season and Hamilton's won none. So fair play to Pierre. Um, what was the other one I was going to pick out? Um, oh yes, Sebastian Vettel's graphic coming up and then <laughs> it just going to the McLarens. <laughs> That was that was fun. Yeah, um, that's good. I'm gonna pick out this uh, this moment where Mick Schumacher, uh, the the notification came up at the top of the screen saying that he re- received a black and white flag for cutting, uh, you know, for track limits. At the same time, he was cutting the chicane in order to get out of the way of faster <laughs> cars coming through. Uh, I I know, obviously, you know, it's blue flag, so that's not exactly why he was getting it, but I just. I thought that was hilarious that the the timing couldn't have been any better on that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also notable one is uh, Serena Williams not being able to wave the Czech flag, which was we 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 oh, focused yeah. on that one to way too long. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame that she doesn't have a living where you know <laughs> that sort of action is is needed. Um, that is a shame, is it? Imagine, yeah. imagine if she was actually famous for for doing <laughs> doing something where that, yeah, two handed, you know, baton holding style um, object waving would be useful. Um, you know, that is a shame, real shame. Um, but anyway, I'm not, I didn't decide to give it to her because she had to put up with whatever that post race interview was with DC. So <laughs> I felt bad for her to that to that point. Um, 
let's move on because uh, it was a bad day for the Mercedes, but arguably it was even a worse day for Charles Leclerc, who, after gaining pole position in you know very normal circumstances, uh, of course he, he got the fastest lap in the first runs on Saturday, crashed on his second run, which meant that Sainz, Bottas, Verstappen, all behind, thinking they could go faster than Leclerc, were not afforded the opportunity with the red flag that that crash brought out. Due to start on pole position, there was a bit of a question mark as to whether the gearbox would be good to go or not. Seemed all okay until about 30 minutes to go in the race. Uh, It turned out it was a drive shaft issue that not only meant uh, that Charles Leclerc couldn't start from pole, he couldn't start the race at all. And his his strong performances at Monaco continue. (laughs) Never finished a race there in Formula 1 or indeed Formula 2 either. Um, Seems crazy. What what do you think of, of Charles? Do you think, first of all, let's just get this out of the way. Was Charles Leclerc's hit against the wall intentional? No. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, um, I think we, the, any critics of, you know, people, people saying that it was on, blatantly on purpose, you wouldn't, today proves why you wouldn't do that on purpose because it, it you know, ruins any chance of, of, uh, being in the race, let alone fighting for the you know for the win, um, and you, we saw when other people uh, who we won't name have done it, they've done a a job where they don't hit their car against the barrier; they just park it. So, um, if you want to do something deliberately, don't crash your car into the wall because you know it it risks it risks your car being m- mangled for the race. So, um, yeah, people who are saying that, I respect everyone's opinions, but only when they're not stupid. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Um I feel like there was quite a bit of chatter about this being intentional until the point where he couldn't start the race uh, and then that chatter died down quite substantially Very quickly, surprisingly. Yeah. yeah. Um look if if he was going to actually think about doing this intentionally um even if you I know Schumacher basically got caught out for it because he didn't make it look intentional enough. I think this would be going too far the other way yeah. in terms of you, you don't need to be that intentional for for people to think that it was an error. If he really wanted to go down that route, he surely would have picked a slower speed corner where he knocks off part of the front wing and doesn't even consider the gearbox. Here, he actually goes full into the to the barrier and then it results in a massive crash. Why would you jeopardise? First of all, there's no guarantee that they're going to go quicker anyway. Why would you consider jeopardizing your overall race or even a five place grid penalty as seem you know possible? Why would you have that in contention when even if let's say Verstappen goes faster than Leclerc, he ends up starting P two? Like surely that is a better result than the potential of not starting a Grand Prix. Um, I don't feel good about Leclerc not starting the race. Obviously, home Grand Prix was in contention to do really well. So the the only silver lining that comes out of it is that the people who suggest that this is intentional just look that little bit more stupid about it. Um, I'm sorry if that is your opinion and you actually think that Charles Leclerc did this intentionally, but it's not something I can subscribe to at all. Um, Looking at his the fact that he didn't start and what impact that had on the race. I think Charles Leclerc could have won this considering there were no overtakes done on track. He, he had pole. Um, yeah, I think he he absolutely had the pace to to win. I think you, you know, slight, 
both Ferraris were obviously quick this weekend, but I think Leclerc was always that bit quicker than Sainz was. Um, you know, we quickly forgot that Leclerc didn't even do FP1. He, he had his car had an issue and he was still quicker straight out the box in FP2. So he had an hour's less running and was still quicker. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think he had the pace to, to even if even if Max was right on his tail, as we saw, it was, you know, not necessarily easy to pass. So, um, uh, yeah, I definitely think Leclerc had the pace to win, gutted for him, to be honest, um, you know, because the only thing he did do wrong this weekend was smash it up at the end of quality. Um, and that was his downfall. But, you know, maybe he'll never finish a race at Monaco. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Starting to feel very uh, Rubens Barrichello-esque. Oh, Brazil, uh, yeah. With Brazil. It's it's starting to feel that way. <laughs> Fortunately, Leclerc's got a number of years ahead of him to, to reverse that at some point. But it does start to feel a bit like that. Um, do you think that in terms of the overall pace of Leclerc and Ferrari, do you think that they will cycle back to where we have expected to see them like third and fourth best team on the grid but they might have occasional weekends like this at tracks that suit them yeah I think that's probably what um what will happen for this year um I mean yeah I mean fair play for them because you you would say um not that long ago the their strongest point was their engine for reasons for which we're not going to get into now but um perfectly legal perfectly legal um, than they did chassis, whereas now they have a st- potentially a stronger chassis than they do engine, and that's that's been shown by by here in Monaco. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a strange one. It does seem incredibly strange that you know the perfectly legal, powerful power unit that they had a few years ago um, it deteriorated out of nowhere. <laughs> Um, yeah, and you're right. It's the, it's an absolute reverse of, of what the situation was a few years ago, to the point where the chassis is is very strong now. And I think we saw that at Imola; it was very good there. Um, and Spain, it was it was very good there as well. Charles Leclerc, of course, finished P4 in that race. And here at Monaco, where power unit is com- not not completely taken out, but not far off that. Um, to the point where they can perform strongly. And it's not the first time we've seen that over the years. If you think back to, you know, the days when McLaren used to struggle everywhere, pretty much, because of the Honda power unit, but they, they tended to do all right at Monaco. Um, not quite as good as, obviously, Ferrari have done here, but you can often see that the performance at Monaco doesn't necessarily follow everything else that we see throughout the season. So I would expect the Ferrari to push back to either the third or fourth best team. I expect them to pick up that rivalry with McLaren again. Maybe at certain circuits, they might be able to challenge Red Bull Mercedes again. I think Monaco was probably the number one contender for that. Maybe they fancy their chances at somewhere like Singapore, for example. I I don't know, maybe Japan or something else like that. Um, But we'll have to wait and see on that. But for now, they can be very happy with that performance arguably yes they, they could have had the win I, I think they'll need to just take the take the second place that they got with, with Carlos Sainz and yeah the, obviously the Charles Leclerc side of the garage isn't going to be quite as happy um, I mean considering that the actual issue was a drive shaft issue on, on the on the left side of the car which of course isn't the side of the car that that had the brunt of the impact do you think that Ferrari because obviously they inspected the car and said everything was all right. 
do you think that they've they've missed the trick here? Do you think that they haven't necessarily done their job as well as they could have done? I mean, always very difficult to tell. You don't we don't know what exactly they were doing, but I'm sure more attention was potentially paid to the the right hand side of the car than maybe the left. They'll have they'll have checked all of it. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. That Ferrari been around long enough to to know what they're doing on that front. But um, yeah, I don't think it's necessary necessarily something um they like could miss i think it is you know how, how do they know whether their drive shaft's going to fail um on the left side it's pretty difficult to know until you start the car up and you know we saw it with uh, verstappen in monaco in 2018 when he had the crash in fp3 they fixed the car it was fine but then they went to start it up and that's when the gearbox leaked or failed or something so these things you can't always you can expect the you know the structural integrity of it but you can't literally test it on the track until it goes out there so um yeah i don't know if it had been the gearbox that was the actual issue i think there definitely would be questions asked about whether they should have changed it but considering it wasn't um yeah i don't know whether there's much more the mechanics could have done on, on that one to be honest um would it have been worse if leclerc had been leading the race and then it failed probably yes i don't know but um yeah, I don't think I don't think there's much more they could have done in the in the time time they had and within the rules. Yeah, exactly. The the rule book is another consideration here as to what they not only what they could do or wanted to do, but what they were allowed to do. Um and it's yeah, it is a shame from Charles Leclerc's perspective. We we do have to consider that there is a chance that the issue that they have here isn't actually caused by the crash at all. And it's a completely separate thing. It seems fairly unlikely, but there is that possibility. So I'll just put that caveat in there, but let's assume for the second that it was Charles Leclerc's crash that caused the issue here. I know that there is this Monaco curse that that he has, but ultimately it was his crash that led to this. So you, you, my sympathy only goes so far, I think, on this to, to the point where it's not as if he had nothing to do with this whatsoever. From Ferrari's perspective, usually I'm the first to to jump on the bandwagon of um, crushing Ferrari strategy because, well, usually it's Ferrari strategy, so it's easy to do. Um, but here I, I'll lay off them a bit. You, you know, usually I'm all over there strategy c plus 23.2 laps but for, for this for the moment i'll um I'll, I'll lay off them here and and a great result for carlos Sainz, obviously um so one side of the garage it, it didn't work well for and actually we'll move on to that man carlos Sainz, first podium for ferrari we which spoke on last week's podcast about the drivers who are who have had their first season at a new team this year. Um, and Signs, we all agreed, was doing by far the best of that lot. And I think this race probably consolidates that. Second place, only Max Verstappen ahead. And he's now only two points behind Charles Leclerc in the tra- in the championship. It was 20 before the race started, so 40 to 38 now. Do you think that Ferrari are starting to consider signs if they weren't already as a, as a bit of a long-term prospect for the team? I think um, signs has a knack of being able to jump from car to car quite well. I think they, maybe the only exception is potentially Renault, but even even now I think that's underestimating the, the mighty Nico Hülkenberg potentially. But um, yeah, I think signs is just very good at jumping from car to car and he's been from Toro Rosso to Renault 
to uh, McLaren and now into Ferrari in a very short space of time, to be honest. Um, and he's adapted fairly well on all of them. So, um, yeah, I think if Ferrari did have... I don't think they were. I don't think that's really an option for Ferrari to have just a a you know a placeholder driver until someone else comes along because that's their Ferrari for crying out loud. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe they only had him down as a one or two year but I think he could be around for a while um, and they seem like a good pairing Leclerc and Sainz are they're fairly similar on pace Leclerc only tends to really nail Sainz in quali because he's a god apart from yesterday maybe um, <laughs> ironic uh, but yeah I think Sainz is showing what everyone kind of thought he could do anyway so um, yeah I think that's a great little pairing at Ferrari Um and yeah, science is always one that flies under the radar, but he's he's certainly racking up the points now and showing up all the other drivers who have joined new teams, as we mentioned the other day. So um, yeah, Leclerc signs Ferrari if they can continue to improve their form could be a very potent combo. I think going going forward. Uh, and what does that mean for the likes of, let's say, Mick Schumacher and, and Robert Schwartzman, guys who would have fancied getting in that seat within the next couple of years? Because I, I know, including myself on this, a lot of people would have looked at Carlos Sainz's appointment and thought, OK, that's, he's a solid driver. That's going to work for a few years whilst one of these guys gets experience and is, is good enough to get in the car. But you know, Sainz is, is not very old himself. He could He could be around for, you know, another another dozen years if he wanted to be same as Charles Leclerc so what does that what does that mean for the guys like Schumacher and Schwartzman are they going to find it more difficult to actually put forward their case ahead of signs I think yeah I think it's 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 difficult already for the for those younger drivers but um I was saying this weirdly to my to my dad earlier we were watching the uh F2 feature race and there's such a good bunch of young drivers coming up through the ranks like f2 is almost too efficient in you know getting these young drivers towards f1 because there's they're running out there's not enough seats and it's something we've said before but um yeah they need more seats on the grid to be honest for these younger drivers because it's so tough to to get to the top especially when you've got drivers on the grid such as signs leclerc who are already in those top seats at fry for instance um who are performing so well so um yeah, look, I think, you know, I don't see like Mick Schumacher and Robert Schwartzman wishing that Sainz does badly because, you know, I don't think they want that. But um, it's certainly going to make things more difficult for them. And even, you know, the likes of Giovinazzi <laughs> stepping up this year is going to, again, make it difficult for these guys to, to get up because I think, you know, at the end of last year, I think it a lot of people would have said Giovinazzi didn't really deserve that. Well, not that he didn't deserve it, but a younger talent could have come through. He's been around for a while as Giovinazzi in terms of um, in that Sauber team and someone else like maybe Callum Eilert deserved that seat or Schwartzman. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's definitely making things difficult. A lot of drivers have, well, a couple of drivers at least, have definitely stepped up their game this year. So, um, yeah, I still think Mick Schumacher will end up a Ferrari just because of who he is. But uh, I hope it's not... In you know, not just down to the name. I hope it's down to performance as well. But it's yeah, as I said, it's making it difficult with signs doing so well at the moment. Yeah, and without going 
too much down a rabbit hole with this um with with f2 but i i agree with what you're saying there i think a few years ago we actually had a situation where there was a very clear top of f2 like we had Charles leclerc come through one season and it was clear he was going to be a star and you know it's turned out to be that way same with the year after with with george russell and lando norris coming through but I, i feel as if there was a very very distinct top of f2 whereas now the last couple of seasons there might not necessarily be those obvious stars that are coming through, but at the same time, there's a probably about 10 drivers you could look at and say, yeah, they'll do a job in F1 and there aren't enough seats to go around. We've already seen it with Callum Eilert, not able to get a Formula One seat despite finishing his second place last year. Nick DeVries, of course, was champion, uh, didn't get a seat. Uh, Lundgaard and Guan Yuzhou, of course, two Renault Academy drivers, two Alpine Academy drivers now, where are they going to go? They're not being able to find a place. And we've already seen, like with them, Ocon's doing a fine job. Alonso isn't going to step aside unless he's forced to. So where where are those two going to go? I, I think you raise a good point there. But I mean, looping back round to Carlos Sainz, not to compare those two to Bottas and Hamilton, because I don't necessarily think their relationship is exactly the same. But in terms of longevity, could you actually see that that being a similar situation where those two are just working in harmony for years on end? You, I timed that mouthful of food. I just took really badly. But, Sorry, um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I mean. I think going forward, if science continues this um, this form... Then and Ferrari continue to improve. Then Leclerc signs at a at a competitive Ferrari. I think would be a real threat to to you know the top of F one because Hamilton's not sticking around forever. Red Bull only really have still one driver who can challenge at the moment. So I think yeah, it could be really tricky for them. Well, not tricky. It could be really good for them going forward and tricky for the rest of the field. I think because that is a as I said a real potent combination of driver and team if they obviously get the right the right car yeah as you very rightly say it two um two working drivers that are in harmony is perhaps you know underappreciated and it, it's not easy to get case in point is red bull that they haven't been able to crack it and ferrari have ferrari have got that ferrari have done something good right. lord goodness me <laughs> You know that they'll throw it away next year now. <laughs> no, uh, you know, they're in a good spot. And even, you know, I think Ricardo, it will work out for him at McLaren. But at the moment, that's, again, a very much a, a one-driver team for the time being, whereas they've got two functioning drivers doing very well. So um, it's on the up at Ferrari. It's on nice. the up. Just have a look at your power unit, see if you can make any gains completely legally. No. <laughs> <laughs> move on because we can't get we can't get around the fact that the monaco grand prix it was not the most exciting race we've ever seen what are you talking about it wasn't the best race ever (laughs) i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that um apart from mick schumacher deciding that the lowe's hairpin doesn't really exist um there wasn't really an overtake (laughs) that happened outside of that um and of course the the vettel and gasly incident but outside of lap one and Coming out of the pits, there, there were no there were no overtakes done on track. Is this is this first of all a Formula One issue? Is it a Monaco issue, or actually should we just stop complaining about it and say, yeah, we're not going to get any overtakes at Monaco, but the spectacle and qualifying is enough? Um, 
Look, I think that the, one of the things is, especially over the last few years, is that people have a, a medium in, in which to, to, to complain about boring races, whereas we necessarily didn't always have that, especially, you know, even 10 years ago. Um, so it's more vocal. People are more vocal about boring races around Monaco. Um, but, you know, it's kind of always been the case. That it's been difficult to overtake. I think, obviously, if you listen to our previous podcast, I argued that F1's a worse place without Monaco. Saturday, I think just the spectacle alone is just amazing. Even Saturday, I think Saturday is such a thrilling day to watch Monaco, even if the race doesn't produce anything anywhere near um, like the same excitement levels. Um, I think to your point about is it a Formula One issue, I would say yes. I think there's changes that can be made to Formula One because we what we saw Formula E around the same circuit, but bar a slightly different Nouvelle Chicane, but it's the same thing basically. Um, around the same circuit produced an absolutely ridiculous race and it was it was thrilling and it shows that Monaco can still be thrilling in both quality and the race so um, yeah I think that is a that's a, a case in point right there that it's a Formula 1 issue I mean the, the cars are so big and wide these days even the F2 races people were still sending a couple of moves up the inside into Rascas trying around the outside of Raskas. At least they were trying to get alongside because the cars are a bit smaller. I know it's the same spec, so it's not quite a great comparison. But still, I think that's an issue for Monaco. These cars look absolutely massive around there. Um, so, yeah, I think there's... I'd be really interested to see next year. I mean, the cars don't get any smaller, to be honest, but whether that helps at all. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, I think Monaco... Monaco is Monaco, and... It's just it's uh, it's it's not like Spain where I mean Saturday is you know just like Sunday it's not it's not exciting all round it's just Spain but um, at least in Monaco the spectacle you have on Saturday is worth it I think in my in my view anyway and I would be sad if people if we got rid of it because it was a boring race because it's always been there it's not like it's snuck up on us that it's boring um, it's always been the been the way and it, that's the thing and if you look at it from a from a wider context it often throws up a weird result and that, you know, to, as in today, we've we've got a new championship leader. So it's definitely spiced up the championship once again. So in that sense, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, but yeah, I am a Monaco advocate, so I'm slightly biased. But I think the main, if anything was were to change, it would have to be F1. I don't think Monaco itself needs to change. Yeah, I... I... I agree with your point on qualifying being thrilling at Monaco. Um, and I, I don't take that away from Monaco whatsoever. It is the, yeah, it's, it's the best Saturday of the season uh, and it is thrilling. Um, I think the difference here is that for you, that's that's enough. Um, and that's, you know, even a, a poor race, that's enough of a, an incentive to go to Monaco. For me, it's not quite enough. Um, you and, suck and, then, Ben. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I said it. <laughs> um, no, I look, I you're right in what you say as well, in that this shouldn't be a shock to people. This is what we... Okay, it might be... It still might be one of the worst Monaco Grand Prix we've had, but also it's not completely out of line from what we usually see. You know, it, no. there might be some... Grand Prix where we get five overtakes but is it that wildly different from what we saw out there not really so it's not as if we should be surprised by what we saw out there um I agree as well in that it shouldn't be Monaco that changes it should be Formula One that changes and it is the size of the cars predominantly that just doesn't quite work 
um, at the moment. And hopefully, actually, next year, when the new cars come in, we can see a significantly better race because it's not even... It's not even the lack of overtaking that that makes me think that this is a a poor race. Um, I've always said you don't need 100 overtakes per race in order for it to be a belter. But what you at least need is the is the ability to try and overtake, even if it doesn't come off like you need that threat of an overtake To, to make an overtake around Monaco. You don't even need the driver in front to make a an error. You need them to make a horrendous error. We saw Daniel Ricciardo a few years ago win the race with. 75% 75% of his power available. Uh, unless you are going into a wall, you're not you're not getting past there really at all. Um I think the closest we got really was was Perez on the uh, uh on the back of a couple of drivers really of, of Vettel and uh, and Norris later in the race and also Hamilton to Gasly a couple of times but there still wasn't really that threat. Um so I I think the changes do need to come in in terms of in terms of Formula 1 rather than the Monaco track. I just think overall, and putting the qualifying thing to one side, because that is a factor, but I don't make any excuses for the, the racing in Spain being poor. And I'm, you know, when the racing in Spain is poor, I'm, I'm very outwardly saying, look, there, this is an issue. And just because of the spectacle of Monaco, I don't want to change my tone on that. I, I feel it should be consistent. And if the racing is not good enough, because I think the racing should be above everything else in terms of the entertainment value of a weekend. If that's not on it, then I think it needs to be addressed. Um, and my address on this would be, yeah, let's let's wait to see what the, the new cars can do. Hopefully we get... I'm not asking for Formula E levels of overtaking. You know, I, I, we're not, we're not going to achieve that. That's absolutely fine. But just a little bit more of a threat would be lovely. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I can totally understand that. And, you know, even if you look back at the battles, the classic battles around Monaco, I'm thinking Mansell Senna, there was at least a, you know, Mansell had a, definitely had a sniff on a fair few occasions of an overtake, but he couldn't, he couldn't get past, and that's remembered as a as a, one of the most thrilling battles in F one. So, um, yeah, yeah, I definitely see your point there. Yeah, I think that is, illustrates it the best, really, in that the number of overtakes there compared to today was exactly the same, but that was much more entertaining because he could have got past, like he was there, and and Senna had to pull it out the bag in order to keep him behind, rather than you know. You look at look, look at Carlos Sainz when he got out of the car today and he was interviewed by DC uh, and Coulthard actually made the comment like, you, you know, you you look absolutely, you haven't got a sweat. And it, it didn't look as if any of the three drivers at the front actually had to, like like we see in Singapore where they, you know, they're sweating as they come out. Mm-hmm. It did look like, and when, when you're going around at seven seconds a lap slower than you would usually do, again, I haven't done it myself, so feel free to throw <laughs> that criticism my way, but... When they're when they're tire managing as much as they can, yeah. you know, you want to see you you want to see them put a hundred percent effort in on every lap. Well, if Sam was here, he would say throw Monaco in the bin, um, and we should I never hate go there again. Bottas, um, yeah, yeah, it was his fault. The wheel got stuck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wish he was here because I'm sure that that would be something he said. Just kidding, of course. Even Sam wouldn't go to that length. Well. I say not. I say not very <laughs> confidently at all. Um, I mean, next time out we're going to be uh, we're going to be in Baku. Um, so that'll be two weeks time. So we'll be back for our usual podcast on Wednesday, where we'll be talking about something or other that we haven't decided yet. We'll have yeah. to see what 
have to see what comes out of this weekend before we decide the topics on that. But then we'll be back, of course, for preview and review of the of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Another street circuit, but I would imagine one or two more overtakes than that. Um, but until then, we'll, we'll leave you for now. Keep breaking late. Sports Social Podcast Network.